0: All right, let's continue today what we started here on last week. If you missed last week, we we started a new series uh, entitled Life Hacks from Proverbs, and I told you it's going to be a three-week series. Actually, after I've spent some time praying about it and talking with Pastor... Uh, David John, the pastor of our church in Detroit, we, we teamed together to, to, to preach the same series. We both sensed that we needed to extend this a little bit further. So we're not going to end this next week. We're going to uh, let Chris Durso come on June the 4th, and we're going to pick back up with this after June the 4th. Because there's just so much in this book of Proverbs. Amen. And I was going through trying to figure out, well, which, which ones are the most important? And I'm like, man, I, I want to preach all of this. And so we're going to give you a little bit more after June the 4th. When we pick back up on June the 11th, all the way through at least Father's Day, to pour some things into your heart to help you gain some wisdom that'll help you to hack this thing called life. As we told you last week, the, 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 official, the official and formal definition of a life hack is a usually simple and clever tip or technique for accomplishing some familiar task more easily and efficiently. But we gave you the impact definition, or what, we, what we, we're talking about when we say a life hack. And we call it a life hack. We're simply talking about simple ways to win in this thing called life. Amen. Anybody want to win in this thing called life? Amen. Absolutely. We want to win in our businesses. We want to win in our marriages. We want to win in raising our children. We want to win in our health. We want to win in our mental health. Come on, say man, somebody. Amen. You know the book of Proverbs got a lot to say about mental health? Everybody today's got their own ideas and thoughts about mental health, but the book of Proverbs has a whole lot to say about what to do to maintain your soul in a good condition, your mind, will, and emotions. So there's a lot that is here, and this is the real life hack right here. If we choose to govern our lives by God's wisdom instead of the world's wisdom, then we will end up getting God's results instead of the world's results. I don't know about you. I want God's results, not the world's results. I see the world's results on the news every single night. I don't want the world's results. I want God's results, but I don't get a chance to get God's results if I'm not willing to do things God's way. And if I want to get God's results, and I have to be willing to do what it takes to adjust myself, change my thinking, do what the Bible calls renew my mind so that my mind starts to think in line with and in sync with what God has to say instead of what the world has to say. Now, the whole book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom. It's called the Wisdom Book. And when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about this definition. It's insight into the underlying significance and consequence. Everybody shout consequences. Everybody shout consequences. It's insight into the underlying significance and underlying consequences of our actions Which enables us to make better life choices. Or as I like to say, wisdom is choosing today what we'll be happy with tomorrow. How many know that our actions have consequences? I said, How many know our actions have consequences? I mean, if I if I step over the side of this stage, the consequence is I'm gonna probably end up on this carpet. And I mean no matter how much I pray, no matter how much I fast. No matter how much money I give to the kingdom of God, I'm not going to avoid the consequence of the law of gravity taking me to the ground. Amen. Well, there are consequences of everything that happens in life. And thankfully, the grace of God, the mercy of God, many times keeps us from seeing the full consequence of some of our actions. Yeah. But What we have to understand is we don't want to live our lives on mercy and grace alone. Amen. We want to learn to live our lives thanking God for his mercy and grace. But we want to learn to live making better choices, better decisions so we can get better results. Now, wisdom we told you last week comes from two different sources. Number one is trial and error, which means I'm I'm not quite sure what I should do, so I'm going to test this out, and I'll let you know when it's all said and done, if that worked out okay or not. And if it didn't work out okay, then the next time I'll remember to do it differently. The second way that wisdom comes is simply from the counsel that comes from other people. Even the counsel that comes from the book of Proverbs, this is counsel from a a guy by the name of Solomon. He was king, David's son. And he's given us 31 chapters of counsel to help us make better choices, which is proven experience. I had a chance this week to kind of benefit from both trial and error wisdom and counsel wisdom. You know, uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, my, my family went through this little season, man, where we had like five cracked windshields with three different cars in our house so so my my, my jeep had had I, I had a jeep at the time and i, I had two cracked windshields and my son kate had a jeep as well we thought there was something wrong with the jeeps at first <laughs> he had two cracked windshields and then my wife had one cracked windshield so you know you had a crack in the windshield you're driving down the highway and you hear a little pick don't really know what it is and you get home and you see a little bit of chip and then a few days later it starts spreading Well, you can't drive like that. It's dangerous, so we have to go and take it into the shop, get the whole windshield replaced. Did that, got home, and, you know, a few weeks later, pick again. Windshield cracks again and spreads again. That happened to two of my uh, uh, windshields, two of my sons, and one of April. So, well, we did that and went through five different windshields having to be replaced. Well, this past week, I was driving into work, and I look up, and I'm behind this truck And the truck had a a, a sign on the back of it. They they should have a picture they can put on the screen. Uh, I'm not sure if you can read that, but but the the, the fine print says, stay back 200 feet. Not responsible for your windshield. (laughs) If you look at the angle of this picture, I'm taking it from an angle because I'm in the other lane. Well, I started off in the lane right behind that truck. And when I looked up and read that sign, How many know wisdom kicked in? Come on, wisdom kicked in. It's wisdom from trial there. I've been there, done that. I got the T-shirt. And then it's wisdom from counsel. Whoever's driving that truck is telling me, you can keep your behind back there if you want to. You're going to end up having to replace another windshield. So guess what I did? I put my blinker on, and I changed lanes. So I am hoping today that with the word I'm getting ready to give you, That somebody going to put your blinker on? Let wisdom kick in. Come on, somebody, and just change lanes. Get away from behind whatever destruction is trying to come your way and let wisdom show you a better way to do it. Shout amen, somebody. So our message title today for week number two of this is is what I'm calling Stranger Danger. Stranger Danger. When our kids were young, there was this little video series we had each of them watch. And it, 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 it was teaching them about strangers. And uh, the little kids would be on the playground, and somebody would approach them, and they taught they they them to yell out, help, you're not my dad. This is not my mom. Stranger danger, stranger danger. And it was supposed to be a warning so that anybody around, any adults around would know that this kid is saying, I'm in distress. Somebody's talking to me who shouldn't be talking to me. Well, the Bible has a whole lot to say in Proverbs about stranger danger. And in fact, the Bible talks about a strange person that it refers to as the strange woman. But can we just get honest? The Bible calls it a strange woman because of the time it was written in. There's some strange women and some strange men out here today. Come on, let's be equal opportunity in this place. So reading from the book of Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, it says, wisdom will save you. From the immoral woman. The King James Version says the strange woman. Everybody say strange women and strange men. Come on, say it again. Strange women and strange men. Now tell your neighbor, say hello, neighbor. neighbor. Don't get uncomfortable sitting next to me. I ain't talking about you. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Wisdom will save you from the strange woman, from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. She has abandoned her husband, and she ignores the covenant that she made before God. Entering her house leads to death. It is the road to the grave. The man who visits her is what? Doom. Come on, the man who visits her is what? Doom. Doom. He will never reach the paths of life. You know, what that's really saying is he'll never fully accomplish what God intended for him to accomplish. Doesn't mean that God is done dealing with him. Doesn't mean that God won't have mercy and grace. But the Bible says when he enters her house, and and the the implication here is he didn't just enter her house just to say hello or just sit around and drink some tea. He enters her house He gets caught in the web, or, or she enters his house and gets caught in the web, or she lets him come to her house. Whatever the, 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 the situation is, the implication is this illicit relationship develops, and as a result of it, he or she will not end up fulfilling the purpose and plan that God intended for their life. Now, again, I want you to, I want you to listen to this in the context of not feeling judged, not feeling condemned, not, not being made to feel bad. I want you to listen to this from the context of you're driving your spiritual car. And right up in front of you, there's a truck, and God has a sign on the back of that truck that says, beware of the strange man, strange woman. So what I'm hoping is by the time we get to the end of this message, you will put your blinker on if that fits you, and you're going to change lanes. Just just get it out of the way so that the enemy will not be able to do what he's intending to do. The Bible has a whole lot of warnings concerning relationships. All throughout Proverbs and other parts of the scripture, the Bible warns us about relationships and, and how to interact. One of the big warnings we get is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, where it simply says this. It says flee fornication. Everybody say flee fornication. Flee fornication. Come on, say it again, say flee fornication. Flee fornication. What, what that means is don't play around with fornication. Come on, don't tiptoe around fornication, don't pet fornication. It means get on your bike, get on your motorcycle, ride out of Dodge, get away as fast as you can. Now, when we define or describe fornication, let's make sure we're all on the same page. The word fornication comes from a Greek word which is pornea. Pornea is where we get our English words pornography from, actually. Pornea. And this is what it means, because I think we need to put it in a proper context. It is inappropriate sexual activity. Inappropriate sexual activity. Can I get an amen in this church? Amen. I thought everybody left and went to the movies or something at the same time. Everybody... <laughs> inappropriate sexual activity. And it refers to, watch this, it refers to all, somebody shout all, all all sexual activity outside of a God-ordained marital union. And it includes, so everything here is included in this. It includes adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, pedophilia, bestiality, incest, And any other sexual conduct or contact that is not between a married, not an engaged, a married, not dating for a long time, a married, not we used to be married, we're gonna get married again to each other, a married, a married husband and wife. And I got to be this, this particular because, remember, we're trying to compare God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. And the world's wisdom today says, if it feels good you, just do it. The world's wisdom has thrown out all kind of boundaries. There are no more boundaries. There are no more parameters. The world's wisdom says, if you want to do it, don't let anybody stop you. You're your own man, your own woman. And the truth of the matter is, you can do whatever you want to do. But if we want to operate in wisdom, we got to choose today what we'll be happy with tomorrow and what we'll be happy with tomorrow are the results that are honorable and pleasing to God. Amen. Shout amen, somebody. Amen. How about Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3? It says, For the lips of an immoral or strange woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as poison and as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to Where? And her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the pathway to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't even realize it. Again, let's not allow the King James or our our Bibles to just pick on women, because this same thing can be said about the strange man. He He doesn't care about your purpose. He doesn't care about what God has planned for your life. He doesn't care about your ministry calling he didn't care about all the, the, the things that you know God has spoken to you and put on the inside of you that God wants to do in your life down the line. In fact, when you read Proverbs chapter 7, remember we were talking wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 7, let me pick up at verse 6. It's a, it's a long passage, but it, it has the same wisdom pertaining to the strange man or the strange woman. Proverbs 7, verse 6 says, While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men. And one in particular who lacked common sense, <laughs> big dummy. That's what that was. Fred Sanford said, "You big dummy." <laughs> <laughs> he was crossing the street. Watch this. Watch this. He was crossing the street. Watch this. He was crossing the street near the house. See, he was near the house of the strange woman. He was strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening, as deep darkness fell. The woman approached him seductively, dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and the markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings, and I fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. I came out here to find you, and here you are. She said, my bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon and Chanel, number 24. <laughs> <laughs> Come, let's drink our fill of love until the morning. Watch this. Let's enjoy each other's caresses for my husband is not at home. He's away on a long trip. He took his wallet with him full of money and won't return until later on this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech. She enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the arrow that's going to pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing that it was going to cost him his whole life. Watch this. Here it is. Here's the wisdom. This is is Solomon talking. So listen to me, my sons. Pay attention to my words. Do not let your heart stray in her direction. Don't even wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of a whole lot of dudes. Many men have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave. And her bedroom is the den of death. Come on, you can't say it any plainer than that. What is the Bible saying? The Bible says just stay away from it altogether. Don't even head down the pathway. See, I pointed out to you that the Bible says about this young man who had no common sense, he was going in the direction. There's nothing that indicates his intention was to end up in her house. But he's going too close to her house. He's going in the way of her house. It kind of reminds me of Lot. The Bible says about Lot, Abram's son, uh, or nephew, that when Abram and Lot got into a dispute and his men and Abram's men were fighting with each other, they said, well, Abram said, well, you pick whichever land you want, and I'll take the rest. And the Bible says that Lot pitched his tent, watch this, in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself if Lot was a straight man, why would he be living in Sodom and Gomorrah? Where every single man in the, those two cities together, the Bible described it as homosexual. It says every single man in those two cities came out trying to have sex with these two male angels when they showed up. Why would a heterosexual man end up in a city that is filled, two cities that are filled with homosexual men? There's no other heterosexual man for him to hang out with. Let me tell you how, because the Bible says he pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't start off inside of Gomorrah, he pitched his tent so he could see it. He could hear what was going on. And what happens is if you pitch your tent toward it, you start inching toward it. If you start inching toward it, whatever your it is, if you start inching toward it, you eventually end up embracing it. If you end up embracing it, you end up enjoying it. If you end up enjoying it, watch this, you end up justifying it. And then ultimately what the devil don't want to tell you is that we end up being destroyed by it. So the moral of the story is don't even pitch your tent toward it. Come on, don't even go the way of it. Come on, say amen, somebody. Come on, you said you wanted some good wisdom. This is good wisdom. God loves us so much that whether you are the woman sitting out here the man sitting out here the one online, what he's saying is, hey, I love you so much, I'm putting a big sign on the, on the spiritual dump truck in front of you. The way you're headed right now is not going to turn out well, but you still got time to turn around. Amen. Can we get an amen, somebody? Amen. I said, can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. See, even relationships that remain sexually pure, we still have to fight in our relationships so that our relationships don't become idolatry. Yes. Yes. There's something about dating relationships. When your heart gets all filled with those you know, wonderful feelings, your, 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 the little butterflies in your stomach, you can't wait to get around them. We have to fight hard to not let those relationships become idolatry because at the end of the day, we don't want anybody dictating our actions except for the Holy Spirit. And let me give you quickly three dangers of the strange man or the strange woman. Number one is the strange man or the strange woman will cause us to defy good sense. This make you do stupid stuff. They'll make you defy good sense. Proverbs chapter 30 says there are three things that amaze me. No, 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 no. Four things that he said I just don't understand that just don't make sense to me. Number one is I don't understand how an eagle glides through the sky. I don't understand how a snake slithers on a rock. I have no idea how a big ship navigates through the ocean. And I'm confused as to how a man loves a woman. (laughs) Because an adulterous woman will consume that man. Then wipe her mouth and say, what's wrong with that? Here's a quote for you. Lust connections disguised as love connections will cause a person to make decisions that are as bad or worse than a stone-cold drunk. Come on, Elbow Navy neighbor, say, I told you I wasn't talking about you. Come on, that means you can say amen in here. <laughs> I mean, we will we, we'll talk about the person that has, has gone to the bar and, and sat there at the bar for hours and just drank themselves to the place they can't barely see. They're getting in their car and they're swerving and they're making really bad decisions. But the truth of the matter is when we get involved in relationships and it's on the basis of lust, Lust connections described under the guise of love connections can make us make decisions that are just as bad, if not worse, as somebody who is completely out of their mind drunk. We had a, we had a saying we are growing up in Detroit, we say, it's what the booty do. <laughs> Hope all the kids are in the children's ministry, but you see somebody, that they did stop hanging out with everybody, and they give, you know, get all their money being given away, and they just start dressing differently and talking differently. We're like, well, after all, that, that, that's what the booty do. You mess around and get caught up in a situation where lust has gotten a ba- Can I get an amen in here? I'm sitting there acting like I'm talking to third or fourth graders like I'm, you're appalled at what I just said. You know I'm telling the truth. You've seen somebody that's gotten caught up in a relationship and they have totally changed. You know why? That's what the booty do. Anybody remember the movie Harlem Nights? Y'all remember Harlem Nights? Y'all remember when Richie? If you don't, if you, you go watch it later on, Richie connects with Sunshine. And Sunshine's trying to trip him up because they need to get a code or something from a key or something. And she's got him in the hotel and she didn't put it on him for a few days. Richie picks up the phone and calls home. His kids and she says, Sarah, where's your mama? Mama get on the phone and say, I ain't never come back home. Why? Because watch this, when that lust kicks in, it'll put your mind on numb. Come on, somebody. It'll make you do things that defy logic. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. Second thing about the strange man or the strange woman is it'll cause you to jeopardize what we know matters the most to us. Our family, our friendships, our career, our ministry are typically the things that we say mean the most to us. But the truth of the matter is, in Proverbs chapter 51, actually, let me, let me, let me give this to you. you got to ask yourself this question. Am I willing to sacrifice this in order to enjoy that? Come on, you, you go home and see your kids. Ask yourself, am I, am I willing to sacrifice this? You see yourself operating in your calling, your ministry. Am, am, I, am I willing to sacrifice this? When you look at the business you built and the reputation that you worked so hard to trust that you've garnered. Again, I'm not trying to throw shade at you because temptation comes to all of us. What I'm trying to do is give you a, a, a filter, a, a framework that when temptation shows up, process it this way. Am I willing to sacrifice all of that in order to get this? Is this right here? worth everything that I'm getting ready to roll the dice and potentially jeopardize. Amen? amen? I said amen? amen. See, here's, here's, a, here's a red flag in, in a dating relationship. Be careful of a boyfriend that wants to draw you away from your God-fearing family. I don't know who this is for today. Is somebody, when you're in that dating relationship and everything he wants to do is get you away from your family everything he's got to say is down in your family. They're too spiritual, they're too deep. They go to church too much. And he's trying to segment you, get you away from your God-fearing family. You know why? Because your God-fearing family come on, are giving you wisdom and balance. And a manipulator can't deal with balance that is coming your way so the manipulator tries to get you away from the people who are depositing wisdom into you because if you get enough wisdom deposited into you you're going to see right through this film that he's trying to put in front of you and you're going to be able to recognize him for who he really is i'm preaching real good right here so when you get around somebody and every time they get around you they want to get you away from your family it's a red flag when April and I first started dating, man, one of the things her mother loved about me, actually, is that all the other knuckleheads she used to try to date, <laughs> all the losers, <laughs> they'd show up at the house to pick her up and try to rush out the house. they only stand there in the lobby in, 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 the, in the foyer area of the house, to try to just wait, so, you know, speak real quick and get out of the house. When I showed up at the house, I showed up and I, I was hanging out at the house. Her mom was was shocked because I'm I'm sitting on the floor, took my shoes off. I'm sitting on the floor playing with her little brothers, not in a rush to get out of the house. Watch this. Anytime the person is trying to get you away from the godly influences in your life, it is a warning sign, a red flag to know that this is not somebody sent by God. It's somebody that the enemy's trying to send my way to disrupt what God's trying to do in my life third thing about the strange man or strange woman is that there is no good end to it. You know, when we watch a movie, you see all the alternate endings. No matter how many alternate endings you try to play it out, there is no good end when you're connected with the strange man or the strange woman. And the reason why is because if God is not for it, then we don't have any grounds expecting anything good to come out of it. Amen. So now how do we win the battle of the strange man? How do we win the battle of the strange woman? How do we win this battle with the stranger danger? Number one, we got to get honest and just admit it. Come on, let's just, just get, admit, get honest and admit it. Here's a quote for you. We can never get free if we can never get honest. You missing some good opportunities say amen. We can never get free if we can never get honest. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. Uh, I love this quote from my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges. He said, God never asks us for perfection. What he asks for is transparency and humility. God's not asking you to say, I'm never tempted. Any, anybody, especially any man that tells you they're never sexually tempted, they are lie. You're lying through your teeth. I never noticed women. You lying dog. I ain't going to lie. I do. I notice them. I'm a grown man. I notice women. Here you go again, acting shocked. God created men to be. Men are visually stimulated. Men, men, men are visual creatures. So man is going to know. That's why. That's why. Come on, sisters, you have to watch as as, as Christian women. Thank God for your grace and all that that we're walking in. You got to watch how you dress around men. Amen. 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 Yeah. Don't don't sit around and say, "Well, it ain't on me." I mean, he to just check himself. Well, I mean, don't walk out the house like you looking for a pole on the way to the grocery store somewhere. <laughs> Because we're sitting here telling you we're visual creatures. Now, that doesn't mean that a man should stare you down. And for a man, it wrong with the first look. The, the problem is when the look continues. Men, we have to learn how to turn your gaze in another direction. Redirect your focus. But any man that tells you that they have never been tempted or don't, doesn't notice other women, that that's just not going to be true. And what we have to do is recognize that i got to learn how to admit where my weakness is. We have to learn how to admit the things that could come our way. And one of the best people to admit it to is your spouse because they will make sure that you get delivered. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) There's an awesome power in repentance, but we live in a society today of such low self-esteem that many people equate repentance with failure or being a bad person. Or just not measuring up somehow or some other negative feeling. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance simply means to turn around, turn away from whatever I've had my gaze on that I know I shouldn't have my gaze on. Turn away from it. And when God gives you a message like this, it's like a warning shot. It's God's way of saying, hey, I see you, I know you, I love you, and I'm trying to help you avoid the death that comes along with this. My good friend, Miles Monroe, who's in heaven today, man, before he went to home to be with the Lord, he used to say this. He said, to repent is simply to come back up higher where you belong. You no, know, to, to read, the, the, the prefix read is to, to do it again. And he made it, it took a spin-off of the penthouse. You know, the penthouse is the top floor. To repent, it just means let me come back up here where I belong. I, I'm made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I, I shouldn't be dabbling down here in death and destruction Things that could bring harm to me or to the things that matter most, let me come back up higher to where I belong. First step, we gotta admit it. Second thing, we gotta avoid it. Avoid it. Matthew 5 29 says, So if your right eye caused you to sin, take it out and get rid of it, throw it away. It's much better for you to lose a part of your body than to have your whole body end up in hell. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Much better for you to lose one of your limbs than to have your whole body go off to hell. Now, he's not literally saying to stick your thumb behind your eye and pluck it out or or chop your hand off unless literally you need to do that in order to survive. What he's saying is take some drastic measures. What he's saying is stop playing around with it. What he's saying is admit it and now let's get away from it know yourself enough to get away from it. Avoid it. You are not strong enough, and neither am I to deal with it. What he's saying is stop flirting with death. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 says, can you build a fire in your lap and think it's not going to burn your pants up? (laughs) Hmm? Think think about that for a second. You sit right there now, you pull out a little lighter, you and then get shocked because your legs are burning? Hmm? Can you walk barefoot on hot coals and think you're not going to end up with blisters on your feet? Of course not. I remember back in 20, 2018 when Colin Kaepernick was uh, uh, you know, having his, his, his protest, he was kneeling, and, and Nike was still sticking by him doing some commercials. There, there were a number of... People, I'm not even sure if these were real, if their videos were doctored, but there was a lot of videos out there of people who were deciding they are going to burn their Nikes. But if they, they weren't taking them off burning them, they were burning them while they still had them on. I remember the first time I saw the video, all I thought was, you big dummy, you. Because if you're trying to get rid of your Nikes, but you're trying to burn them while they're still on your feet, that's not just hurting your Nikes, that's going to hurt you too. Why? Because you cannot... Be that close to the fire and think the fire won't eventually end up burning you as well. So what is he saying? He's saying take drastic measures. That means if you have to, if if the problem that is such a huge temptation for you is your next door neighbor or the person across the street, hear me out, take drastic measures, move. If you haven't figured out how to put enough of a barrier there, a wall there, so you never find yourself in temptation again, it is worth moving. See, and I know that's like, I ain't leaving my house, but what God is saying is, Rather than let your whole life get destroyed, because if you keep down the path where you're on right now, you're not going to enjoy that house. You're going to be talking about how to sell it and split the proceeds. So what he's saying is, if, it, if the problem is right there in your neighborhood, be willing to move. If the problem is on your job, and you can't get transferred to another area, and the temptation is still hitting you right there in the face, be willing to change and go to a different job if you had to. Watch this. If, if, if your issue is on social media, get off of social media if you have to. Social media is not for everybody. And even if social media is for you, watch this. Everybody needs some checks and balances on their social media. Somebody else needs to have your password and have the ability, if they chose to. Come on, somebody, to be able to look in and see what's going on in your inbox. We ain't talking about what's on the wall where everybody can see it. We're talking about what's happening behind the curtain in the DMs. You better say man, stop squirming out there. I'll, I'll preach all day long right here. And see, the thing is, God loves us so much that he's willing, he's willing, watch this, to put us in a position like we are today to hear wisdom so we understand there are consequences to my actions. So if I don't want the bad consequences, watch this, I have time today, I need to change my actions. Amen. Here's the last one. So we got to admit it, number one. Avoid it, number two. And number three, account for it. Account for it. In other words, be accountable. Be accountable. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, make this your common practice. Everybody say common practice. Common. Come on, everybody say common practice. Common. You know what common practice means? That means do this on a regular basis. Yes. Confess your sins, watch this, to each other. Now, I know we've grown to a place where we don't mind confessing to God because we know God loves us. He's got grace. But what he said is don't just confess your sins, your missteps, your, 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 temta- your areas of temptation to God. Confess it to each other. And I don't mean lean to the neighbor next to you and tell them right now, because you might not know if you can trust them. (laughs) But everybody needs somebody that you can keep it 100 with, and they're not going to look at you like you're some alien because you've been able to be honest about where you really are at this moment. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Watch this. So you can live together. You can live whole you can live healed. Maybe one of the reasons why we don't see more Christians living together and whole and healed is because we don't have more Christians confessing their weaknesses to another human being. Maybe one of the reasons why we have so many mental health issues even in the church is because we're trying to hang on to all this cognitive dissonance on the inside. Our heart knows what's right to do, but our actions and our thoughts are trying to lead us somewhere else, and we're trying to manage all that internally internally. Instead of just slowing down and having a good confession party, man, just be honest. Just have a word vomit with somebody. Tell them, I need you to sit down. I need you to to brace yourself. I, I need you to give me space to be a human being for a second. Let me just tell you who I really am. Doesn't mean I don't love God. Doesn't mean I'm not anointed. This is where I am right now. I need to be honest enough so you can hold me accountable. I need you to ask me some questions every now and then. I need you to ask me how you're doing with that thing we talked about. Confess it to somebody. See, Satan specializes in trying to keep the secret between you and him. But what he doesn't tell you is that he plans to tell as many people as he can and shame you as soon as he can catch you slipping. He wants to just be, nobody Nobody knows just us. What he's not telling you is as soon as he gets an opportunity, he's going to look for an opportunity to just destroy your credibility. Another quote from my pastor. I love this one. He says, you will always be as sick as your secrets. Hmm? Yeah, so find you somebody. That's, that's one of the benefits of small groups, man. And you don't just jump in a small group and day one share everything, but get into a small group from community. Spend enough time with these people to, to, to determine, can I trust them? And when you get a group of people you can trust, don't just be a part of a group to have some refreshments and have some discussion about the Bible every now and then. Be a part of a group that you can confess your faults. Be honest about and transparent about where you are. Become a part of a dream team. Part of our dream teams, part of the goal in our dream teams is to help disciple you. We're not going to judge you. Nobody's going to send you to the corner because you're not as holy as the rest. But if, you don't, if we don't ever get to a place we have a community, somebody, a counselor, go to counseling center. They'll keep it, whatever you tell them right there. But we need somebody so you're not walking around holding that in, wrestling all by yourself. Because Romans chapter 7 is real. The thing I say I'm going to do, I end up not doing it. The thing I didn't want to do anymore, I found myself doing it again. What we want to do is make sure we have a space where we can be honest enough to break that curse that the enemy's trying to put on us. Last thing I want to do is I want to lead you in a confession of holiness. And I think in, in, this, in this era that we live today with the grace of God, we've learned so much about God's grace and there's so many things that the church in the past put us in a little box and you really couldn't even live your life. There's a lot more things we can do and not be in a bad space with God than what we were told in the past. But let me just tell you this, that doesn't eliminate the need to still live holy. And I understand it's not popular today to talk about things like that. And holiness doesn't stop you from having fun. What holiness does, it stops you from having to live out the consequences of that fun. It catches, it puts your fun in a context of what's biblically acceptable, what Holy Spirit would approve of, and allows you to not have to wake up the next day or tomorrow or next week and have a bunch of regrets. So I want to ask you to repeat this after me. Say, I am the seed of the Most High God. I am the seed the most high God. Say it like you mean. I am the seed of the Most High God. The- I've been born into, born into righteousness, and my true character, character. is holiness. I shun the very appearance of evil. I have learned that fornication is inappropriate sexual activity, and it refers to all sexual activity outside of a God-ordained marital union. I know that fornication is sin, and failing to flee fornication is sin, and I know that the paycheck for sin is death. So I make a conscious decision today that I will not get paid. I will exercise my dominion over sin to say no to thoughts of sin that lead to acts of sin. I repent of anything. Come on, I repent of anything that has been in my life. Prior to today, and I seek the strength of Holy Spirit to help me walk in godly purity. I submit to the healing power of Jesus to make me whole in my heart so I'll never again turn to wickedness to cover up my real pain. David said in Psalm 101, I will set no wicked thing Before my eyes, I agree with David, and so I choose to guard my heart and the heart of my children. I resist the strange woman, the strange man, and any other distraction that would try to rob me of God's best. Holiness increases my capacity for the blessing, so I fully expect the hand of God to be stronger on my life as I raise my standard. I declare divine health, divine prosperity, and divine protection are working mightily in my life. When I pray for things, they come to pass. My angels are on assignment to work the Zoe life of God for me and nothing is hindering their assignment. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I will live this way for the rest of my days. Amen. Come on, shout like! It. Come on and shout like! It. Come on, we thank you, God. Come on and rejoice. Come on, Father, we thank you. Goodness and mercy, He's following me all the. Work out well for us because we have a standard that you've given us, Father. Father, we thank you for the strength, the grace, the courage to make the right choices, right decisions, Father. Live uprightly before you. We give you all praise, glory, and honor for everything good that you've done in our lives and what you still have in store. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> every head is bowed and all eyes are closed in prayer if you are here today and you do not know jesus christ as your lord and savior what an awesome day to say yes to christ i want to pray for you i'm not here to embarrass you certainly not here trying to say that anybody else here is better than you i just laid it all on the line and tell you we all have issues we all have things we got to work on but the truth of the matter is no matter how much we work on them our good works would never earn us heaven You must be born again. What does it mean to be born again? It means that I made a decision to surrender my heart, surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And when I do so, the blood of Jesus that he shed on my behalf, it's applied to every one of my sins, which means when I breathe my last breath, (coughs) I don't have to go to hell to pay the price for my sins on my own. So right here, right now, whether you're in the room or you're online, I want to ask you, ma'am or sir or teenager, are you ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Are you ready to give it all over to him? He's not asking you to promise that you'll never make mistakes again. He's asking you to promise that you'll surrender your life to him. You'll be transparent before him. And you'll just have some humility to recognize you need his help and his grace. So wherever you are in the room or if you're online, I'm going to count to three here in just a moment. When I get to three, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as high as you can. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to trick you and ask you to come up here to the front of the church. I'm just going to pray for you right there where you're sitting or right there where you are on the other side of this camera. But when I get to three, I'm going to ask you to be bold and courageous. Because you don't know if you'll ever see tomorrow without Jesus Christ in your heart. So don't promise yourself you'll do it next time. Promise yourself that right here, right now, you're going to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I'm counting to three. One, two, three. Go ahead, lift up your hand if that's you. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See that hand there? Thank you. Another hand there in the back. Beautiful. Come on, who else? Or raise your hand. You're saying, yes, I want Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Yes, I'm ready to make a commitment to him right here, right now. Anybody else before we pray? Anybody online, just raise your hand right there at home. Even if you're by yourself, still raise your hand so heaven can put it on record that you're saying yes to Jesus. Anybody else before we pray? Beautiful. If you raise your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer right there at your seat. Say, Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin But you raised him from the dead, and I know he's alive right now. So, Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact. Put your hands together.